Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on the fascinating world of near-death experiences, spirit communication, and all things metaphysical and spiritual. The mission of this project is to share messages of hope and inspiration with others, and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. Thank you for being here with an open heart and mind. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, Magic is Real listeners and family. Thank you so much for being here this week. I'm Shannon Torrance, and I'm your host. And today I have with me the lovely C.A. Knubel. C.A. is a comic. C.A. is a mental health advocate and a trauma recovery advocate. She is a writer and a speaker. And I have her here today because her story is a fascinating one involving a spiritual experience. I'm going to issue sort of a trigger warning. This is a story where we won't go into too much graphic detail, but CA is a trauma survivor and um, went through something horrific. And as a result of that incident, had a spiritually transformative experience where, in fact, she was able to go back in time to affect some of the details of this, this event. A little bit hard to explain, but I'm going to let her explain it because she will do so, so much better than I will. Welcome, CA. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Um, first, I'd like to have you talk a little bit about yourself because I always like to get to know my guests. And I'd love to know before, this is sort of, I know it's an unfolding. It's not one event that happened. It was sort of a long evolution of years of healing and trauma um, trauma recovery. Um, but as a young person, what were your beliefs when it came to spirituality? What were your what was your perspective on that? Um, but when it came to let's say the church and spirituality, I never really believed in any of it. I had gone to church when I was younger, but it was never you know an every Sunday kind of thing. Um, it was more like a, we tried it, you know, we'd try to sit around and read the Bible, but none of it really made sense to me. And I had a lot of trauma as a child as well. So I didn't really believe there was somebody out there looking out for me because it didn't feel that way. So I kind of stemmed that into my adult life. Right. Um, all right. Well, this is sort of a time jumping story, so we can kind of start wherever you like. Um, but I think as I've heard you tell your story before, you've usually started with what happened to you. Yeah. So I'll start with what happened to me as I remembered it beforehand. Perfect. Um, because I feel like that's going to be the easiest way for people to kind of follow along. Yeah. So when I was 18, I went to college uh, two and a half hours away from home. I was still 17 when I left. Um, and I didn't really know much about the world. I was kind of sheltered for the most part. So um, I used to sit outside of the library. This is like a library and coffee shop mix and books and coffee are two of my favorite things. So um, I used to sit out there to get my work done um, a lot, especially in the nicer weather, because it was a beautiful campus. Um, and I used to see this guy all the time. And it didn't seem out of the ordinary to see him all the time, even though he was a bit older. If I was just turned 18, he was probably like mid thirties, if I had to guess. Um, there were a lot of older people in that school that kind of commuted there because of the area that we were in. 
um, I'd see him all the time. We'd like wave, you know, we'd hold the door open. We'd have small talk about the weather, about family, things like that. Um, and over six months, we kind of um, built a rapport with each other. You know, not necessarily like this guy's my best friend, but, you know, just I, I feel comfortable. I've seen this guy around. You know, I don't feel threatened in any way. And when I had first initially met him, it was actually inside the library because I had dropped a book when I was coming out of the bathroom. And this person happened to be walking by and they handed me the book and we just kind of got in a conversation. And then as I sat outside, I'd see him all the time. Or if I was in line at the coffee shop, they, there he'd be right at the coffee shop, getting a coffee too, a couple of minutes later, you know, things that now I look back and I'm like, that's kind of weird that he was always there. But at the time, being as shelter as I was, it seemed normal. So when the weather started to change and it started to get colder, there was one day where, because I am the queen of procrastination, I was at the library a little later than I normally would have been. <clears throat> and as I was leaving, I happened to see this person leaving at the same time, and they offered me a ride back to my dorm. Now, me being not necessarily in shape and thinking about, number one, the cold, which I hate and I still hate to this day, but also thinking about all the hills that I'd have to climb to go back to my dorm, accepted the ride, didn't even think about it. Like there was no second thought, you know, it was just kind of like, absolutely, please drive me home so I don't have to walk. And it was when we got into the car and my seatbelts buckled and I pulled out my phone and he snatched it from my hands that I realized that I may have made a mistake. But at this point we were already turned in the wrong direction and headed towards the highway. And it started a very long journey up and down the highway. Um, it lasted well into the night. So if I had to guess, it was still late afternoon, like the sun had not quite set when we had left. Um, and he kept pulling off onto this guardrail road um, and trying to force me from the car. And I am from Philly. <laughs> I am pretty, 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 um, headstrong. So there were some very graphic fight scenes that went down um, because I'm not, I was not going down without a fight. And I, I realized that this was kind of where it was headed because in the car, like he just really kept trying to break my spirit. You're never going home. You know, um, you're, this is basically it for you. And nobody knows where you are. And unfortunately he was right. My roommates had no idea where I was. I didn't fill them in with where I was going. We're in college, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> and as far as my family, they're two and a half hours away. Why would I update them and say, hey, I'm sitting outside the library or, hey, this guy's giving me a ride home. Like, it just didn't make sense to me at that time to reach out in that way. So he was absolutely right. No one knew where I was. Um, the second time he tried to pull me out of the car, and I could see he was getting a little more frustrated because in the initial, it was kind of like a sweet taunting. You know what I mean? It was very kind for the most part. It wasn't as as harsh or as graphic as it had gotten as the night went on. And he could he was clearly getting frustrated um, because even though I was an easy target, I was not an easy target. You know, um, the second time he pulled back onto the road you know, after he tried to pull me from the car, there was a point in time where he, I won't get into the details, but tried to, um, tried to make me touch him. And I grabbed the wheel instead and jerked the car. 
And I think that's when things really took a turn because he knew I was serious. Like I will kill us both. I'm not, you know, I'm not the one basically. And I say that in jest, but I meant it wholeheartedly. Like I am not the one. Um, but by the third time he pulled off one of the guardrail, it had been hours. It's very dark at this point. And it's kind of to the entrance of woods. Um, because that's really all I remember is the guardrail leading up. And for anybody who's not from PA where I am, these guardrail roads, when you look over the guardrail, it is just cliff. There's nothing over these, like there's no running, there's no going anywhere. It's just cliff. So if you're not in a car or you're not driving, there's really nowhere you can go as far as trying to escape. Because that was a question a lot of people had asked me when I first initially told the story, like, why didn't you run? Babe, where am I going? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the third time when he tried to pull me out, he had a knife. And that was where I was kind of like, well, you gave it your best shot, kid, but time to go. So he led me by knife point deep into the woods. Um, and there was really no light. So it was kind of like, <clears throat> watch your step. Because if you don't step the wrong way, he had a knife against my stomach. It was over. You know, if I fell, I'm falling into a blade. So when we went into the woods, I didn't remember any of this. Remember I said, I'm going to tell you it as I remember it. Yeah. I remember up till then. And then I remember being led out of the woods. I followed. It looked like a light. But I thought at the time it was my mother. And I don't know if that was just my traumatized brain at the time or what it was or me trying to cope. But I followed that down the guardrail and back onto the highway. And as the sun was coming up, found my way back to where I was familiar and comfortable to go back to my dorm. And at the time, being 18, I just thought I was kidnapped and had to walk home. And I was pretty embarrassed by it. Like, girl, you were 18 and kidnapped, you know, and obviously that's not the way I should have thought of it at all. But at the time, this is kind of what I told myself, because when I went back to my dorm, nobody was there. You know, my roommate was out being a girl in college, I guess, you know, I said nothing. I showered, I went to sleep and I told nobody what happened. You know, I kept having these, these night terrors off and on of woods and I didn't know why. Cause I remembered that I was led into the woods and I remember leaving the woods, but there was no memory of what happened inside of those woods for the entire night for the most part. Cause there was at least like six hours in those woods that I had no memory of. Um, it actually wasn't until this year that I remembered and realized and went back and kind of assimilated everything together to paint the full picture. Because when I, in 2020, I initially started going to a therapist to try to work out like what was going on. Cause like I said, I was having these, like I remember a treasure cat smile, but I didn't remember why that smile bothered me so much or the word babe would trigger me. I had no idea or why I was so connected to Rapunzel as a Disney princess. Like I love Disney, but Rapunzel, I felt really, really connected to and I didn't know why. And it was like, I need to answer these questions. So I started working with a therapist. We got maybe five sessions in and my just turned 18 year old sister passed away, which triggered something in me. And I didn't know why. Why did this trigger me so bad? But it led to like a really bad downward spiral full of vices that obviously I don't need to name, but we're not good for my health at all. I gave myself a heart attack at 30 with these. And then a week later, tried to end my own life. 
because I was just so confused and lost and I didn't even know where to start to even understand what was going on. And after that, and where I am in PA, if you make an attempt, they send you to a mental institution basically right away. You don't get a choice. And it was when I went to this institution that it was the first time in my life I had no distraction. You know, up until this point, I was a single mom. I worked two jobs. Whenever I had time to myself, I invited people over or I used those vices that I told you about. So I never had a clear head to sit and really think and try to remember. I didn't want to try. I didn't want to know. You know, what I remembered was enough for me to not want to know more because I was a coward. You know, there's no sugarcoat in that. That's accountability. I was a coward. So when I went to this hospital, I was in the waiting room for between 30 and 40 hours just because they didn't have any space available. But I remember because I'm a manipulator. There's I'm honest about it. I could have manipulated my way out of that hospital that day and signed myself out. But when I sat down with that paper and I had a pen in my hand, I started smelling trees and I started feeling dirt under my feet and I knew it wasn't there. I'm in a hospital waiting room. I was like, this is not good. And I just dropped the pen. And that's the last thing I remember. Because after that, I was completely somewhere else. Completely. And even looking back at that time in the hospital, the 30 to 40 hours, I don't remember the hospital at all. I can't imagine what I, my behavior was like. Because I know, like, towards the end, they gave me meds and knocked me out. Because I became just feral. You know, like, screaming and craziness because now I unlocked all of those memories, but I didn't unlock it like sitting there thinking about it. I literally went back and I know that sounds crazy and that's where we're going to get into the next part. This is where things get a little bit strange. So when I started smelling the trees, I immediately picked up by knife point where my memory left off. So I'm walking through the woods and immediately in my head, I'm freaking out like, no, no, wait a minute. This already happened. I've seen this. What is going on here? Because in my head, like I got led into the woods and then I was out of the woods. But I'm like, oh, no, because I'm like in my head, I'm realizing like I got to relive this. Whatever's about to happen really happened, you know? So it wasn't as if I seen it through my eyes. I was watching it like I was watching a Lifetime movie with no commercials. I was outside watching and I could see and feel everything that I was feeling in that moment to the point where, you know, when he threw me to the ground and there was trigger warning, sexual assault happening. And it was kind of like a villain story after that because he explained everything why he picked me, what he picked me for, what he had planned for me. He laid everything out after he was done with me. And while he's doing this, he's got a knife and he's torturing me, poking me and prodding me in places that don't need to be poked and prodded with sharp objects. But he basically explained that he saw me when he got a flat tire. He was doing something for his mom. This man did not go to my school at all. Okay, <laughs> like he saw me, saw that nobody really talked to me in the time that he was watching me. I didn't check my phone a lot, which meant nobody was checking on me. I didn't look around and wave to people. That meant I was an easy target. So he stalked me. 
and he checked my schedule kept watching me that's why he kept popping up at the coffee shop that's why he happened to be outside the bathroom when i dropped that book it happened to work out that way that was his initiation to start talking to me and it led up to six months this man basically groomed me to take me and it's because to him he thought i looked like rapunzel he had an obsession with rapunzel and i had at the time my hair is naturally golden blonde and he had like he kept playing with my hair while he's talking to me kept smelling my hair you know kept calling me babe every other word and it was terrifying to watch especially because again i'm not watching through my eyes as it's happening i'm watching my younger self and it's now almost like 13 years later and i'm like oh my god like this like really happened to me like this is this real right now and the only reason I survived that night is because we heard somebody coming and he took off. He took off. He looked up and took off. And the only reason I know it was me that saved myself is because at one point when he really started digging in with the knife, because this is where he really meant what he said, you know, I, I lunged forward, you know, because in, in my head, I'm totally going to stop this. But I did because he looked at me dead in my face, not the me on the ground, but the me running towards him. He looked at me in my face and then took off. Wow. Yeah. And I remember laying there for a long period of time because in my head at this time, I'm like, oh, my God, there's more people coming. Like, this is about to get a lot worse, you know, because this entire time I have my eyes clamped shut. And in, in some parts I was defeated, like. You gave it your best shot, kid, but there's really no getting out of here. You have no phone, nothing. And after the assault, I had heard something fall, but I didn't know what it was. But once I, you know, finally got up, because I'm like yelling at myself, like, get up, get up, or you will die here. You know, like, you can't lay here. You got to get up and you got to move. And I did. I, I mean, it was painful, of course, but I did. And that's when I found my phone. It was dead. So divine intervention did not happen twice for me, I'm sorry to say. But that phone gave me hope. Like, yes, I'm gonna get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna find my way back and I'm gonna get out of here. And it was that point that I remember walking out of the woods. But there's a period from where I was laying to the entrance of the woods that I still have no memory of to this day. Because what I remember are downloads. I saw things in my life that have happened and will happen that were, I guess, a gift given to me when I went back. Because after my little sister passed that January, I hopped on a plane and went to the West Coast and backpacked through California. The first time in my life I ever got on a plane, um, it was necessary at the time because my head was not, I was not okay. I needed to be by myself. And that trip was very beneficial for me as a side note, therapy wise, but I saw that download. And that's what kind of made me comfortable with the rest that came. And it was things that I know are going to happen because they're things that are final. Birth, death, things like that, including mine. It's not like it gave me a time of date like, hey, on July 15th, 19th. You know, like, no, it's not like a time of date. Like, this is how you're going to die, babe. It was like events that will lead up to it that gave me the indication like, okay, there's nothing after that. So that means whatever I was put here to do, or whatever my mission is, I guess you could say, my purpose, that's when I fill it because that's when it's 
a blank slate. Doesn't mean that things can't change. No, I don't have a full understanding of what exactly that means. But that walk out of the woods was me guiding myself out because at the time I thought it was my mother because I, I look a lot like my mother now, you know, that the face shape, there's no like defined, you know, it's not like I look up and it's like picture of me. It was just like shape and outline, but it had the long blonde hair, which I do have, you know, it had the same no shape and it had the same shape that I have. So my younger self who thought that was my mother didn't know, obviously, because how could I have known what I would look like when I got older? But I left you. Yeah, it was me. And I led myself out. And I remember getting the downloads, but I don't remember that walk out other than following that light. You know, so whatever happened in there, maybe I didn't unlock that yet. Maybe there's even more to this story that I don't know yet. But right. It, it answered a lot of questions I had about what happened to me. And it gave me an entirely new perspective. Because before I was embarrassed, like you got kidnapped at 18, like, girl, that's embarrassing to like, girl, you, somebody tried to murder you and tortured you most of the night and you survived, like, you know, divine intervention, I like to call it, but you survived. And that's a powerful thing, being able to change your mindset like that. And I had a lot of trouble with my identity and with men. I treated men like garbage, all of them. They were all trash. You know? Yeah. That's a trauma response, of course. Absolutely. And also, as is the loss of memory, because it's your brain trying to protect you from even worse trauma, even though it stays in your cells, remembering that will kill you. I mean, it's too it's it too did. much for you to handle. And so I wonder when you when you went back, when you were in the hospital and you saw yourself going back basically to save yourself. At what point did the downloads happen? Was it like, I, I, I get the sense it was like, as you're kind of walking yourself out of the woods and when people have near-death experiences, for example, and yours was similar in that it's an out-of-body experience, is it like osmosis? Like you just start to know things or is there like, um, yeah, how did you, I guess the question is, how did you, CA, receive that information? It kind of felt like a movie. Yeah. Um, but kind of like, you know, they say you see your life flash before your eyes. It yeah. was kind of like that, but it wasn't just me. It was people, faces that I don't even recognize because like, I, I still have yet to meet them, you know, in situations that, you know, you kind of feel deja vu. Like this mm -hmm. has happened before. It was kind of like that. Like I got feelings. Yeah. Like, I felt my feelings in that situation, but it really played just kind of like a movie. Right. You, know? like, um, you said that. I know a lot of people have that same experience, which is sort of sort of a life review, but sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it is seeing future events or knowing things that are going to happen. And some people describe it as they're literally back in their body in that moment. But like you said, you were watching it, but you were there like 100 percent. You're viscerally there. You're feeling you're smelling the trees. You're feeling the air and the, the temperature. Only you're outside your body still, is that right? Like you're yeah. seeing your younger self, but you're still standing right by her. Yeah. Okay. And then the downloads, can you, are there examples of, do you remember exactly what it was? Or do you just have like the sense of, I remember seeing these things happening and have some of those things come to fruition? Are you piecing it together now in terms of why you were shown what you were shown? I'm still kind of trying to piece it together. Yeah. Um, just because it it's so it's so hard to believe 
that I didn't want to believe it. And now that I'm like, no, this is real. Like this happened. It's kind of me going back and trying to remember exactly what I've been shown so that I can do that. But I don't really have all the pieces kind of like a jumbled puzzle right now. Yeah. Because the only one that I remember was the trip to Arizona. Like I remember the plane ride. I remember there's one part where I'm kind of like outside of my car and there's like sand in the background and I'm taking like selfies and stuff. And I remember seeing that. I remember the color of the sun as it was setting. I remember the smell in Las Vegas when I went to Vegas. It's little pieces of things that are put together by senses, you know? Yeah. Like, okay. Or like pictures, flashes. Yeah. So mine really relied heavily on my senses. And I think that's probably because it's what I trust the most. You know, I'm somebody who's not very, not, you can't just tell me something and I believe it. I need to see it or smell yeah. it or feel it. And I think like whatever was giving me this message knew that like she needed to have senses involved. So right. I've seen people die and I'm not going to mention who, because I'm not ready to be yeah. there yet, but yeah, it does come as a shock. Um, and I, I know that it's real because I can feel it. I feel mm -hmm. how I feel in that moment, even though it has not happened yet. Yeah. So it's kind of like a movie, but I yeah. feel everything. So I don't want to say it's kind of like it put me in that scene, you know, mm -hmm. when it happens, but it kind of did, if that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. I'm really bad at trying to explain this part. No, you're not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not just you. It's hard for anyone to explain because on the like in the other side or on the other dimension, I I love this conversation for many reasons. But one is I think it really opens up the idea about uh, parallel dimensions, um, which is not in my mind separate from the other side. You know, I think I feel like there are different dimensions where. Okay, well, think two things. One, and I'd love to hear your take on this. There are parallel dimensions because you can kind of it's like a choose your own adventure. I feel like we're living these simultaneous things all at the same time. And so you can, uh, what was the word? Time hop in a way, um, like dimension hop, right. kind of go in and out of dimensions where it's like, you can be in two places at one time. And that's really hard for us, for we humans to process because that is not the way it works in this, in this physical 3d world. Um, I have more questions upon questions, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about, we don't, I know that I'm not a scientist, you know, metaphysicist or anything, but I just find Neither it really interesting. It's like time jumping. I, that's what it feels like to me. So for me, time is not linear. Yeah. Time is like the idea that time is just start to finish is a social construct. Yes. That doesn't make it realistic. That's just what we're told to believe. So that's where my take is on that. I do believe that there are different planes. That's how I refer to them, yeah. different planes. Um, where our our brain and our spirit kind of connect and then disconnect. So, for example, like when people meditate, you're on a different plane when you're doing it correctly, of course. Yeah. Whatever correctly is, it's different for everybody. But you're on a different plane. That's where people start to receive downloads or they start to see things that may not seem normal because you're connecting on a different level. And you're jumping planes and you get to see things from a different perspective when you go on different planes. That's what totally. my understanding is. I, I totally understand that. I've actually ended up like meditated and ended up in the quantum field with another person um, who I have a very strong spiritual connection with. And the two of us suddenly, it felt like the movie Tron to me, like I'm meditating and all of a sudden my soul 
leaves my body. And it wasn't like yours where I'm not like physically really, but it was so vivid that I suddenly saw him coming towards me. And I said, this is real, isn't it? And like right after I came out of the meditation, he texted me and said something just happened energetically. And I was like, yeah, we were both in this other dimension at this. And I was like, no big deal. We just are in a quantum field. So I don't think that I think you can quantum jump in a sense. I, that's what it is, right? Right. So our bodies are all completely conducted of energy. Yeah. And that's that's what people don't realize. We I like to call us suns wrapped in skin because that's oh, the that's best beautiful. way I have to describe it. But energy does not die. It shifts. So that's another note for people to write down. And that's when you start getting into the quantum field and things like that, because that's really where the energy comes from. That shifts around. Um, and that's when you get into like, you know, intent and positive energy and ascension. And we won't get into that today because that's a whole different topic. But yeah. um, when you, it, it's easier to move to different planes and to understand a little better when you're fully accepting yourself light and dark sides so that's when you get into shadow work and that's when you get into that ascension so that's when you start seeing spirit guides it's when messages start coming into you and you find out what kind of light worker you are because when you go through something and i say it like this when you see the darkest parts of human nature you start to see things very sorry oh, yeah. yeah i have a dog in the background so i wanted to yeah you start to see things very very differently like for me, I read energy now and I can see in the dark. I don't need light. That was going to be my next question to you. Yeah. Go on about that because that was exactly my question. Sure. Do you want to ask the question? or just... Yeah, just no, keep going with where you eat. <laughs> I just was going to ask you because I know those, those um, once you've, once your soul has gone there, it knows how to come in and out of that, that state very easily. Yeah, it's trying to control it. That's the issue. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to hear about, yeah, so I didn't mean to interrupt. I just had to say, yes, thank you for going there. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. So for me, I like number one, I could see in the dark. And that was something I learned back in 2020 because I had no idea because I'd never liked to be in complete dark. It was a trauma response because it was pitch black when I was in my trauma, you know, because um, in the Poconos at night, there's no light at all. It's not like the city, you know? Um, so I always had like a light on or a nightlight or something to that nature. But it was when I actually went to, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was actually, I went to what they call a rave. Now, when my friend told me about this, I thought it was like in somebody's basement or like in some kind of abandoned building. So I'm like, oh, cool, whatever. Didn't know it was in the woods. And that was like immediately like, oh, no and there's kind of like this and i'll have to send you the pictures you can add it later but there's like steps that you go up and it's graffitied and it really felt like alice in wonderland like it really felt like stepping into a completely different dimension and i'm looking at everybody like using their lights to walk around and i'm like you mean it, i can see perfectly fine like i'm thinking they can see like i can see but i'm just walking and nobody else can see or move as quickly as I can because I didn't need my phone or light. I'm just walking, you know, cause I go by my other senses when I'm in yeah. those moments, but that's when it really started for me. That's when I really noticed that I do things very differently because I was feeling broken people, so to speak, you know, like I see somebody just staring off into space, but I didn't see them staring into space. I felt them shift 
into a very negative mindset. And I would just walk over and just say something crazy, like, hey, did you see that turtle or, or something crazy? You know what I mean? Just something yeah. totally out of left field, but it would snap them back. So I was literally taking that energy, shifting it, and then walking away. But then you notice them turn around, and now they're back in the conversation, and now they're back in, the, in this mindset. And I did that all night long. I didn't even, like, have a good time. I literally, right. like, to me, that was a good time, but it also taught me to limit myself because it took me days to recover from that kind of energy shift for the entire night because it was just like person after person after person i felt it calling to me like go say something and i'm like what do i say and it was like i don't know just say something like you know and that's why as a comedian i kind of stepped in and i'd say something funny or I'd say something crazy or anything just because i felt that pull towards that person so and i still feel it to this day and it's not like a gut feeling it's not the same like that person's trouble because it's we all get that this yeah. is more like this person needs me to say mm -hmm. something or this person is extremely feel like feeling something extreme and it could be happy it could be angry and angry i usually tend to stay away from and i know that's probably like not what i was supposed to do but i do not deal with anger very well because i black out so any kind of violence, I need to stay away from. Yeah. Um, and that's a trauma response, but that's knowing myself. So that's important for me to stay away from that. So yeah, you have to have energetic boundaries. It's you know, it's not it's it's not to heal at your own expense. That's not yeah the idea. And I have another question because I know that what I'm putting together um my non-scientific research is that people and i'm i don't know if, i i think you may have mentioned that you've been diagnosed with ptsd but um trauma anyway right um well cptsd i have complex right. post-traumatic yes. yes i know i'm very close with someone who also has cptsd and she's psychic af like clairvoyant yeah um now she won't do anything about it but she always has these experiences of like knowing something's going to happen, hearing it, you know? So I've learned just, it's anecdotal, but a lot of mediums, for example, um, myself not included, but a lot, a lot that I've known have had trauma in their background. Um, and so it, because let's think about what PTSD is. So your brain tries to protect you from further danger. So it goes into fight or flight, high alert. The idea is that it's supposed to protect you so that in the future, you're always alert. The problem is it's hyperfunction. And so then it goes in a loop over and over and over and over and over to the point where it's not serving you anymore because even when you're not in danger, it's creating this loop. Um, so the thing is, of course, when your brain is on high alert, you're now picking up energies that most of us don't feel, um, which as a highly sensitive person, that's what makes me an intuitive is that um, in the book, The Highly Sensitive Person, the author talks about how 15% of the population is a highly sensitive person because we were the ones that looked out for danger in, in the herd. So it's an evolutionary strength. Uh, unfortunately, in this society, it just makes us chronically anxious and have panic attacks all the time. But because of that, I would love to, and that I'm asking you for your take on this, is um, your brain is just more sensitive. I mean, more uh, on high alert. Therefore, it would make sense that you would also be picking up frequencies that most people don't perceive. What do you right. think about that? So what I think about that is we only use a certain portion of our brain's actual power. And I feel like when you go through something that is deeply 
traumatic. It unlocks different parts of your brain that most people don't actually use or know about because they've never been put in a situation where they had to unlock or use that portion of their brain. So for example, with recessed memories, in that moment, my brain chose to take the torture and the assault of what happened to me and lock it up. Now, our brains are not perfect. So obviously with night terrors and things like that, and the memories that I was having of a Cheshire cat smile and things, I didn't know where it was coming from. Those are little leaks that come out, you know, as a brain's way of kind of leading me into unlocking it completely, right? Because obviously unlocking it all at once, which it did anyway, rude, is a shock and can be very dangerous. But at the same time, I was also in a mental hospital. So no, obviously my body knew perfect time. You're good. Exactly. Yeah. You're good. This is where it needs to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about that. It's it's not necessarily that, you know, we're overly sensitive. It's just that we've unlocked parts of our brain that other people haven't had, I won't say the opportunity, because trust me, it's not an opportunity we asked for, but the yeah. situation to where they could unlock that part. So that's kind of where I look at it. It's different. Um, we use more of our brain. Yes. And that's, and the, and of course the comparison isn't being sensitive is one thing and then PTSD is another, but <coughs> the commonality is just that you, your brain is on high alert all the time, you know, right. for different reasons. But, um, but I do think it makes perfect sense that when you've been traumatized, you have to, you, you, you have to be constantly perceiving all around you it's survival and so in an attempt to protect you it also is going to pick up that extra dimension because it's it's our sixth our sixth sense which we all have but we don't right. use it a lot well, most people don't but you're probably using it all the time all and the time. <laughs> um how have you learned to set up energetic boundaries around that or have you i'm getting there yeah. um honestly after that night in the woods is when i really started like okay well, I need to figure out some kind of way to keep these boundaries. And honestly, it's not a perfect method, but I just don't leave my house. So, <laughs> um, and when I do, it's very limited. So where I used to just stay out all night long when I didn't have my child and, you know, part, you know, go from like, let's say a show to like an after party or just go to some party at all. I limit my time now out so that there's not a chance for me to overexert myself. Yeah. So I'll go and I'm like, oh, and I blame it on, on being in my 30s so that nobody ever asks any questions like, oh, almost midnight, time for Cinderella to go, right. you know, and then I'm gone. I go home and I hold myself firm to that. I hold myself firm to those boundaries that I set for myself because I know if I stay out all night that I am going to end up energetically doing too much. Yep. It, does, it is too much because I'm a very empathetic person. I'm not going to say no to something calling me. So I don't put myself in a position to be called in that way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, normally I ask people, how has this changed you? But the thing is, obviously, yours is such an extreme case because, you know, what you endured was so traumatic. And um, but the but I guess the spiritual aspect of it, how has it changed the way that you see the world and perceive the world or has it at all? I mean, is it something um, do you still ha hold the same kind of beliefs? Uh, it has changed the way I see things as whereas before I'm like, there's nobody looking out for me. Yeah. You know, now I know there is, a, and I call it just a higher power. Mm -hmm. It's not any one God. It's not, you know, or, you know, I use the divine a lot, which is it or a mess with people because people, when you say divine intervention, they automatically think of God. Yeah. 
not understanding that that's your God. It's your mm -hmm. perception of God. So I say higher power, you know, because I don't read the Bible. I don't believe in any one religion. It's not to knock anybody who does because everybody needs something to believe in. So that's period. So I never knock anybody for that. But for me, I just believe that there is a higher power. But for me, it's more of like an energetic power, like an mm -hmm. actual power source instead of a, any one person or deity that is watching over. So that's what I believe in. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, and I, I also... I know, look, your presence here is enough of a purpose. You're, you're a mother, you, you're helping a lot of people by sharing your story, by supporting other people with their mental health, um, with trauma survivors, you know, letting them know that they're not alone. And, I'm, and I know through your own podcast, um, being able to be, uh, to, to provide uh, resources and that sort of thing and say, hey, let's talk about it. Um, but do you have a sense of, since you had this cross-dimensional experience, do you have a different sense of what your purpose here might be? Yeah, that was yeah. one of my downloads was to show me like, this is what you're meant to do. Do it, you know, and I'm on the right path. I feel it now. This maybe not, maybe it's not my mental health project or my, you know, home on the go podcast or anything like that. But I know that the path that I'm on with doing these projects is the right path that I'm supposed to be on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and is there anything else just in terms of you, what you want people to know? I know that's a really generic, big question, but I always ask it because I just like to ask and see what the first thing that comes to your mind is. And it could be numerous things. But what do you want people to know? I want people to know that, number one, it is important to speak up. I did irreversible damage to my brain. When I say that, I mean that it would take more therapy than a lifetime can allow for me to fix some of the damage I did by not saying anything for over a decade. Speak up and write it out. If you feel something is off or you're having scattered memories, start writing. A trauma narrative will unlock those memories for you, but do it in a safe way. Don't just do what I did because after I left the hospital, I was like, oh no. And after I had that experience, I locked myself in my room for an extended weekend when my child was away and I did nothing but write over and over and over and over again until I had the full story from start to finish. <laughs> and it's called a trauma narrative. Do it with a therapist because yeah. it took me a bit to recover from that, you know, because you keep reliving it over and over again as a shock. So, but write it out, write out how you're feeling because not only will it help you untangle all of those knots, but it will also give you a different perspective on something that you have experienced or maybe something that you will. Maybe you were shown something and you're not really sure. Write it out. It'll help you. So that's my little thank list. You. Yeah. No, thank you. That's really important. And I, I just thank you so much for being courageous enough to speak up. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, our brains, shame seems to be this pervasive thing that we feel especially when things aren't her fault, um, because it's a way of making uh, sense of it, of trying to gain control over the uncontrollable or going, right. what could I have done differently or what or what was I doing? You know, all of that stuff. And I think um, it's really important to talk about this stuff because most people I know have endured trauma to varying degrees. And I don't think I think now we're starting to talk about it so much more. Um, but it's really important that we do because there's still so many people I speak with who are like, nope, I'm not going to go to therapy. I'm just going to pretend it never happened. And um, that's when it does live in your cells. That's when it does start to 
cause health problems and it starts to cause worse mental health problems. So I really want to, even though, you know, this is a little bit of a different topic, it's so important to me as well. And I'm really honored that you chose my platform to share it on. And um, I just think it's thought provoking to think about um, how a lot of these things, these horrible, horrific things that happen, there's something spiritual. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't know, you know, but there, there tends to be a spiritual element in some way. And sometimes we just don't know it yet. So I'm, um, do you want to speak about that at all in terms of just sure. as a wrap up? Yeah. So, and I'll try to keep it brief. I wholeheartedly oh, really believe that we are put here to learn certain lessons. And sometimes it takes more than one life cycle for us to learn the lesson. Yeah. But we have to be put in certain situations in order for us to overcome those challenges. It's part of our soul's ascension. You have to learn the lessons. So unfortunately for me, that meant a series of lifelong trauma that was not just my main trauma. There's other traumas that were in there. But staying on course, not getting distracted and finding out what my purpose is to get me back on track so that I don't have to do this again in another life cycle because once was enough for your girl. You know? um, but that's what I wholeheartedly believe is learning them, those lessons is what we're put here for. And you have to stay focused and you have to listen to yourself and your spirit guides in order to find out. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much again for being here and for sharing your story and your wisdom. So important. And the insights that, that you've gleaned from such a, a terrible event, but but there's so much beauty that's coming out of it for you, I think. And, yeah. and I'm happy for you. I'm, so, you know, again, of course, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but also so happy to see the place that you're in now. And I know it's not a perfect road. I know it's not all smooth sailing, but just the fact that you have such a beautiful perspective is, is, is a gift, you know? Thank it's, you. Yeah. So thanks again. And thank you. I really appreciate the platform to be able to tell my story. So my pleasure. <laughs>